Welcome to the Fallon Forum. Hey, it's Ed Fallon. We are broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Hey, uh, thanks to our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Central Iowa's premier good food store. Gateway brings together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. Hey, a quick shout-out to the Des Moines Irish Session for providing the music that brings us into each of these uh, segments that we do on our program. Hey, with me today, Jeffrey Weiss. Uh, Jeffrey's been on this program before. He has taught political science at Des Moines Area Community College and at Grandview University for over 20 years. He was formerly the Peace Education Director for the American Friends Service Committee. Jeffrey, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks, Ed. Hey, so we're going to talk about, uh, later in the program, we'll be talking about the uh, COP28 Climate Summit. We'll also be talking about the recent election results in places like the Netherlands, Argentina, and what this might mean for the world and the U.S. Uh, first, we're going to kick it off with a conversation about Palestine and Israel. And uh, I thought maybe, I'd, you know, you, you, you're closer to this on a daily basis than I am, Jeffrey. But mm -hmm. let me just give you my take and just tell me where I'm wrong. And then kind of let's go through some of the, you know, usual questions that you get and how you, how you see those questions being best answered. So my, my okay, first of all, a flat-out condemnation of what Hamas did on October 7th. I don't see how anybody can think that was a good idea, although I'm sure there are a few, probably very few people who do. But what I don't get is why is it such a hard leap to go from conde condemning Hamas's attack to uh, you know, condemnation of some of the atrocities that is Israel has committed against the Palestinians? That's what I don't get. It's, it, they're identifiable. They're quantifiable. Uh, the, nearly the entire global community, including the UN, speak out against, for example, the settlements, speak out against some of the conditions, uh, enforced conditions in Gaza. I don't get it. It seems to me like you should, we should be able to offer a balanced critique. Um, I mean, I, I think Israel certainly has the right to exist. I think the Palestinians have a right to exist as, as well. And I'd like to believe that they can exist in harmony. And again, I look back at how this whole thing was created, you know, out of a, you know, dividing up a British, um, you know, an area of the world that, that Britain had controlled illegally and uh, doing it in a very sloppy way that has produced some very sloppy ongoing results. That's kind of my take on it, Jeffrey. What do you think? Well, I mean, I guess I would say that one of the things I've tried to do is to just talk, uh, describe what the world thinks. Um, and, you know, the, the you asked the question about, you know, why... It, you know, Hamas can't be condemned, but also the activities of the Israeli Defense Forces or the Israeli government. And I think a, a part of it is that most people in the United States don't really understand the parameters of the conflict, you know, related to international law, you know. And so, I mean, Israel is a sovereign nation state, as you stated. Uh, and because uh, Hamas broke out of what is often described, I think it was the British conservative who described it as the largest open-air prison in the world, um, and committed these, what I would call, war crimes um, in, in southern Israel. Um, and in response to that, you know, Israel's uh, disproportionate response, which includes bombing hospitals, bombing schools, neighborhoods, um, yeah. neighborhoods, uh, mm -hmm. refugee camps, etc. You know, clearly um, war crimes that are being investigated by the International Criminal Court, Amnesty International, um, organizations that are also looking at the actions of Hamas. But the context of the conflict is important. 
Um, and, you know, and that is that the Palestinians are the only people in the world. The Chechens don't have this. The Bas don't have it. The Kashmiris don't have it, who have what's called a right to self-determination, meaning they're a nation, but they don't have a nation state because the West Bank and Gaza Strip, East Jerusalem, um, are being unlawfully occupied um, by Israel ever since UN 242, 1967. So all the subsequent UN resolutions, and there are many, that have come since 1967 list this premise. And that is how the world understands this conflict, whether it's the 190 nations of the world that frequently vote, 190 to two in different UN general general assembly. And that's 190 to two with the two being Israel and the US. And those are generally general assembly resolutions condemning the ongoing land grab that in the Israel West in the West Bank. Right, absolutely, sure. absolutely. But you know, there's another Think there's another aspect of this that hasn't been discussed as much, and that was uh, the last president of the United States uh, recognizing the Golan Heights as Israeli. You know, which is of which course is now in Syria. Yeah, absolutely, and which which is um, I mean, Israel now controls, but also uh, unlawfully. You yeah. know, um, and so, but but that was really really an important so, message that was sent by the last president of the United States. So quick question. Back to your definition of how the Palestinian people are different than, say, the Basque region of, in, you know, the Pyrenees. Or the Chechens. Or the Chechens. Or, yeah. yeah. Well, any what, what's the distinction? The, the distinction is the Palestinians are given observer status at the United Nations. Um, they and that's are, based on what? And that's based on the fact that, like the Namibians, like so many um, independence movements during colonialism, they are seen as having a nation, but having the right to self-determination nation state of their own. No other nation in the world has that designation. I mean, there may be somebody who is from Kashmir that would hear me talking that would say, Hey, we ought to have that, yeah. We, yeah, we, we <laughs> right. ought to have that, or maybe there's UN resolutions that have that, but, but nobody else has that right. So, you know, when you look at independence movements around the world of, of people who are trying to gain a, a nation state who don't have one, the Kurds, for example, mm -hmm. they don't have the backing of the entire world. So, so, so I mean, I know the Basque region has, uh, has some degree of autonomy mm -hmm. uh, and some connection to official powers in Spain and France. But sure. again, there's, there's some, there's some self-determination there, but, mm -hmm. but even... The, the Palestinian right to self-determination is even stronger and more legally and historically founded than that. Absolutely. And yet it doesn't happen. Absolutely. And, and, and not only amongst the nation states of the world that, I mean, 190 to, to zero or 100, you know, with a couple of abstentions or 190 to two vote, which are what a lot of these general assembly resolutions are. I mean, it's, it's hard to get the world to, to, to that level of a vote on most things. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and, and also whether it's the International Committee of the Red Cross whether it's Amnesty International producing on their website, amnesty.org, this is why it's apartheid, a long article describing why it's apartheid. And I, I often say to people, okay, well, read Amnesty International. And, and if you have evidence to, to say that Amnesty is wrong, hmm. great, give it to them. Yeah. <laughs> Amnesty and would yet, love to have it. And yet despite, human some, rights of, watch, despite some of those votes, Israeli this, human rights despite groups. Despite the yeah. history, despite yeah. a lot of uh, evidence, uh, it's um, taboo. In some circles, in many circles in the U.S., to say anything favorable about Palestine that might be construed as anti-Semitic, and yeah. again, the the most um, maligned expression is "river to the sea" from the river to the sea. Yeah, and you know, I know, I know that was coined by Arafat, I believe, back in the mm -hmm. '60s, and. Mm -hmm. It does carry with it a, uh, a sense of um, Palestinian domination over Israel, and that's of, con of concern. But, 
You know, it's also morphed into a more inclusive um, description for the importance of freedom and equality for Palestinian people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, I, I see it used in very, um, you know, malign or benign, rather, context. And yet mm-hmm. you have a, we have a, um, you know, a, 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 a Congress, uh, sorry, a, a member of parliament from Britain who is exiled by his own party, by the Labor Party. Yeah. For making yeah. that statement. We have a, uh, yeah, we have a I, Congressman Tlaib who is censured by yeah. the U.S. House. I think there are better ways to say that. I would say from the river to the sea, human rights sh- for everybody shall be. <laughs> or, oh, you're, you know, you're waxing poetic on this Yeah, now. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm not. I need to add that to your resume of the political <laughs> well, science. Of yeah, I don't know. I, I thought of that poetic. one. But, but, you know, also from the river to the sea, uh, Palestinians will be free. I don't think that saying Palestine will be free is strategically. Uh, I just yeah, it's yeah, not, it's get, not I something you. I would say because right. because Israel is there, Israel is a sovereign nation state. Mm-hmm. They have their borders have to be respected. You know, sure. um, you know. So I, I personally wouldn't say that. And right. so I mean, I I I think that that some of the rhetoric at at some demonstrations, et cetera, are, are not helpful. Um, I mean, I think beyond that, for example, well, I mean, I think it's ridiculous that that lawmakers are weighing in on this. I mean, it isn't as if universities haven't had disputes, I mean, about different things. And the fact that lawmakers are are coming in and trying to censor and stuff is really a a bit childish. Well, so we had we had here in Iowa, eight Republican lawmakers uh, backed out of a, a long time, you know, community dinner at Grinnell College because there were protests on campus. Yeah, and I, I think, mean, as, I think, as, as I think, if the administration has anything to do with it. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. uh, that's students' right. Absolutely, and I think that. if these if these lawmakers could grow up and not behave like children, one of the good things that they would do is they would say, you know what, you students are so wrong. We'll go there. We'll come there and debate you. Right. Go instead for it. Of, instead of silencing you, let's debate you. Absolutely. Instead sure. of trying to cancel, you well, know, I, instead of trying to cancel, you know, young people, I. You know, I mean, the the assault that's taking place, you know, whether it's through Fox and through a lot of different, you know, on universities is is a little scary. I mean, it's what we see in Hungary. It's what we see in Turkey. It's what we see in Russia. And we're seeing a lot more of that here. And people should really pay attention because, yeah. you know, Orban is considered to be the model of the Republican Party right now, one of our two major parties. I mean, and, Mike Pence, and whoever. Let's, and let's talk more about that on the next segment. Yeah. I want to stay focused on Israel-Palestine. Sure. And, yeah. you know, and again, you know, here we, in the Iowa, we have the situation where the uh, eight Republican lawmakers said, um, no, we're not going to come because you had students uh, on your campus who protested um, Israel. Sure. Uh, and then on the, I think actually what happened on the Democratic side was even worse. You know, Rita Hart, who you know, I, I have a lot of respect for, I, you know, known a long time. Uh, she's the chair of the Democratic Party, and when uh, a student group, the Student Democratic yeah. Group at University of Iowa, spoke out in support of Palestinian rights, mm-hmm. she basically said, "We need the uh, chair, vice chair, and secretary of that group to resign. They need to quit and yeah. shame." And uh, in in in, yeah. in 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 solidarity with that, the Iowa State University Democrats said, "Well, okay." Uh, we're just going to go ahead and quit. <laughs> you know, we're well, going we're yeah. to back out of the Iowa Democratic yeah. Party because right. we don't want to be controlled. Yeah. We don't want to have our posts, our thoughts, our comments, you know, censored or yeah. criticized by well, a state when, party. when the Democratic Party can't win the debate, apparently, they also try to censor. Right. So once again, the, 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 the big boy or big girl thing to do for the Democratic Party would be to engage these students. Right. And the Democratic Party is now divided. You have half of the base of the Democratic Party 
seeing this conflict in a different way, thinking there should be freedom for both Israelis and Palestinians. Right. You have members of Congress of the Democratic Party. It's starting to become more of a partisan issue because the Democratic Party is fragmented. But you also have this huge political force, APAC, the American-Israeli, um, I remember the name now. Sure, yeah. Political Action Committee, yeah. uh, that are putting more money into politics, political races than ever before, yeah. especially into Democratic primaries. And they'll probably lose. And they'll probably lose. Because well, I mean, Nina Turner lost APAC, in Ohio. No, I mean, APAC will probably lose. I mean, APAC will probably lose. Wait, wait, because, you think APAC will lose? Oh, yeah. No, I, I mean, but I, they aren't I, losing. They're winning. I think, well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, they haven't had the elections yet. <laughs> no, they're, no, they're no, gonna, no. Back in 2022. In 2022, well, they... I know you're talking about them possibly going. Well, I mean, I, I think I think she probably lost for a lot of other reasons. But I'm talking about them well, specifically going after Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and a number of other Democrat members of the Democrat. They'll be doing that in 2024. Yeah. We'll see how they do. Right. But I bet, I'm looking I, I, back at 2022, Jeffrey. Yeah. And they, they, APAC was very successful. They Possibly. Uh, but, but, I, but I think APAC is, APAC is losing its power. Anytime you have an organization uh, that is trying to censor people, or criminalize people, criminalize speech, rather than debate. From my reading of history, you're 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 probably more on your way down unless unless you can exist in an illiberal or authoritarian okay, so, society, which uh, okay, maybe but, they will be able to. But let's look at what happened now, in 2022. Right? But for now, no. Nina Turner was defeated, and APAC spent heavily against her. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that APAC okay. defeated her. But Donna Edwards. Now Donna Edwards. Um, yeah. I, I've never met her personally, but sure. she she ran in 2008. She beat. A centrist Republican, and that that was one of the inspirations behind sure. me to run because I was running against a centrist Republican. She beat him, uh, but uh, she was defeated pretty handily. A lot of it had to do with APAC's money. I mean, they spent uh, they spent um, nearly six million in her yeah. campaign in a primary, in a primary, and that was the, in addition to that, the Democratic majority for Israel spent over four hundred thousand yeah. in a primary. Yeah. And then you look at uh, look at Andy Levin, the um, Jewish. Democrat mm -hmm. from Michigan. I mean, he had the audacity to propose a bill for a two-state solution and call sure. for, quote, an end to Israel's occupation of the Palestinian territories. Mm -hmm. APAC spent $4 million defeating him. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, so... Yeah, but, <laughs> but, but, I, but I, I, think, I think the trajectory is going... Is, is, I mean, I think it's going in another direction. I hope I mean, you're right, but the, I don't the, see it. No, the, oh, the narrative, the narrative is losing. I mean, even if you look at whether it's NPR, MSNBC, CNN... Their coverage of this conflict is is much better. I mean, whereas it used to be an F a couple of decades ago, it's it's a D plus. I mean, well, it's it, better it's now than it was huge. a month ago. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's not huge, but but things are changing. Even if you look at the Biden administration, the executive branch, of what they have had to do because of the of the public outcry, they they have had to measure their language. They have had to move back. Now, that doesn't make a big difference in terms of policy, not yet. Not yet. I think what, what, in my opinion, Jeffrey, sure. what you are underestimating is the huge power of money in politics, uh, and the huge power of negative ads. And I, I hate them sure. passionately. But you've got, I mean, when you've got six million coming at you, and those ads, by the way, APAC ads never talk about Israel, Palestine. They talk about other things, yeah. and they paint the candidate as an evil person. And that stuff, unfortunately, gets through yeah. to voters' minds, and yeah. they, and and they respond. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I guess I'll say we'll see what happens in 2024. Yeah, yeah. it'll be interesting. Well, and let's uh, let's uh, take a short break here. Jeffrey Weiss with me today, folks. We're going to come back from a short break and talk about uh, how recent elections around the world could possibly fuel the continued rise of authoritarianism. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. 
Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Hey, welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you folks. Hey, thanks to the Catholic Peace Ministry, an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese. CPM focuses on nuclear disarmament, the need for diplomacy in Ukraine, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, and ending the permanent war economy. Learn more at catholicpeacemistry.org. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. Uh, Jeffrey Weiss with me here, folks, and... Um, we're going to move on from the Palestinian-Israeli conflict to the global phenomenon of the rise of authoritarianism, which took um, another step, arguably, in the wrong direction this week with elections in the Netherlands and in Argentina. But let's look first at, uh, at the Dutch. Uh, you've been tracking this as well, mm -hmm. Jeffrey. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, the uh, Geert Wilders won pretty handily. Um, some of his views include banning the Quran. <laughs> okay, banning the Quran because we're all about freedom, right? Um, and holding a vote on the Netherlands uh, membership in the European Union, I guess what you might call Nexit, uh, along the lines of Brexit. Uh, and we saw how well that's gone for, uh, for Great Britain. But, uh, you know, and those are likely to happen because of the Dutch parliamentary system. But what do you, what, how do you see this, um, the fact that he got elected? Mm -hmm. is would have been unthinkable even a few years ago. Yeah. Um, well, his party um, won 37 out of 150 seats in the Riksdag. So just what you said is, is probably true. You, you can't have a right-wing government unless you're able to form an alliance um, or even a left-wing one. 51%. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you've already seen some center-left and center-right parties say they will not be part of a governing coalition. So we're going to have to wait and see because the last government in the Netherlands took 10 months to form after the election. So it's going to take a long time to sort all this out. But your question, why did he win? You know, I would defer to political scientists from Europe, the few that I've, I've listened to on this. And one of the things that was helpful to his party is that he is he's a real fan. His party's a real fan of, of Israel. And so the timing of October 7th, um, events that happened before then um, played into it some. 
Um, the right-wing parties, especially that have grown in Switzerland, Sweden, Germany, and the Netherlands in particular, um, now have a line that these immigrants are Muslims. They're coming from Muslim countries that are anti-gay, that don't respect women's rights. And they're right when they say that. So at the same time, the, the Muslim immigrants that are coming to this country don't necessarily yeah. represent the right. governments that they're fleeing Some from. Some of them might be leaving because of those, uh, it, those, those, it, those repressions, yes, right? Yes, yes. And, and, you know, and I mean, the late, the late but, but this is the rhetoric is, that is increasingly being used to say we're ultra-right, but we're for women's rights. Don't look behind the curtain to, to hear what we have to say about reproductive freedom, but we are going to mm -hmm. stop these Muslims from using their faith to go after gay people, to go after women. And, and it's becoming more effective, uh, you know, in particular because yeah. of the spectacle um, that it creates. You know? how, do you, how do you, I mean, looking, uh, looking across the water, and in this case across the English Channel, how do you reconcile the election of a, of a, of a um, you know, a, a, a far-right candidate like Wilders with um, the election of uh I'm blanking on his name. Sunik. Yeah. Um, Rishi well, Sunik. Sorry. Okay. Um, well, okay. I, I think the one thing that... Who, who's also re a conservative, but but of Indian descent. Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But but of all of all the governments in Europe, only Hungary has a majority of seats of, by a right-wing party. So, you know, in all of these countries, you're going to have to form coalitions. You know, you start out by talking about how... He wants to ban the Koran, which obviously is going to come into conflict with Article 1 of Netherlands Constitution immediately, which I think you stated in your question, right? Implied. Um, implied. <laughs> okay, implied in your question. So, so um, you know, there, there is skepticism of the European Union. Um, I mean, these are majority European countries where immigration is, is changing the face sure. of a lot of these nation states. You know? but, but, I mean, the, the folks who are immigrating to these countries... Mm -hmm. They're they're picking up the culture, the language. The I mean, I know this in Ireland at least. Sure. The, the, the Ireland also has seen a significant amount of immigration from the southern countries, uh, mm -hmm. and, um, and 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 yet there's there's an integration. You know, they're they're, they're picking up some of the uh, a lot of the traditions of the Irish. Yeah. And adding to those traditions. Yeah. It and, and over time, I mean, in order for people to assimilate, no matter, you know, <laughs> that tends to happen. But at the same time, you know, I mean, we're seeing the same thing in the United States. You know, in the background, you know, Levitsky and Zablat, who write books about the United States, will say that this is perhaps the first time in history that a resounding majority, European American and white people, um, are, are, are losing their voting numbers, you know, over time. And so this is where a lot of the far right can create fear, you know, fear of the foreigner, fear of, you know, the diff one big difference, though, in the Netherlands and these countries, is these are mostly secular countries. Mm -hmm. I mean, the United States right wing is also Christian nationalist. I mean, like, like, like India's right wing is, is, is Hindu, Hindu nationalist. Sure. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, so this offers a very different element, because the the right wing in the United States is described as populist, which is a ridiculous term because it's not populist at all. Right. But a lot of these parties in Europe actually are a little more populist because they do have, they do believe in, in social welfare programs. They, in fact, one of the things that a lot of these far right parties have been 
campaigning on is the private, they're against the privatization of the healthcare systems. <laughs> they want more socialism yeah. in healthcare. Now they mm -hmm. don't usually use that word because they're anti-socialist, but <laughs> they publicly, but, right. but they don't want to dismantle necessarily, or, or they're capitalizing on the problems. And, and many of the countries in Europe right now are having serious problems with their with their health systems that's a different so let, topic let, let, for another let, day but their right wing is taking advantage let, of that let me jump across and, and the left is when they can too let yeah. me jump across the big pond the sure. atlantic ocean to argentina where uh, yeah. where javier malay um, yeah. who's who's described in the uh, mainstream media as a quote right wing libertarian he's the new president he won pretty well pretty handily mm -hmm. by 56 percent of the mm -hmm. vote and he has, quote, radical views to fix an economy battered by triple-digit inflation, mm -hmm. a looming recession, and rising poverty. Mm -hmm. And his biggest support is among young people. Mm -hmm. Is there anything really different, substantially different in Argentina or more broadly South America than what's happening in Europe? Well, number one, he only has, party only has about 20% of Congress. And Congress writes law. So good luck governing. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm there. But, but... Um, I mean, it is different because Argentina, the, you know, climate change, severe drought has made their corn, their wheat, their soybean crops um, awful. Um, they have a $300, $400 billion debt. They keep trying to negotiate. Um, capital has left Argentina. I mean, so these right. are all things unique to this well, country in South America, and it's, it's not, not, hard, it's, not to Europe. It's not hard to see why people are dissatisfied and wants, want, quote, radical change. Exactly. And the Peronists have, have governed for several decades, you know, quite successfully in many respects. Well, how successful and, is and, it if you've got a huge recession and rising poverty and triple-digit inflation? Well, huh? only— Is that success? Well, yeah. I mean, the first four, 15 years of their rule was, you know, or 15 or 20 years of their rule. And a great but, musical came out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't cry for me. That okay. one. Is that don't cry for me? Okay. Yeah, but don't sing for me, Jeffrey Weiss. <laughs> okay, so, so I mean, interesting, some of the, some of the responses to his election. Um, sure. Different people weighing mm -hmm. in with, oh, dear, this is terrible, or oh, wow, this is great. And one of the, oh, wow, this is great um, congratulatory notes came from uh, former president, U.S., former U.S. President Donald Trump, mm -hmm. who said that uh, Millet would uh, make Argentina great again. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I mean... It, How self-serving is that, well, anyway? Well, one of the things the far right has been able to do is to capture spectacle. You know, right. if where you have finance capital, you know, replacing industry and agriculture and traditional capitalism, you know, being swallowed by, you know, money to, to speculate and, and bet and make money, and where you have media so, so corporate, you know... Um, yeah, I mean, they're able to create spectacle. I mean, if you now look at cable TV in the United States, there's about four or five right-wing stations. I mean, f that make Fox even look like it's a little sane. And are know? there left-wing stations? One. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Democracy Now! And, oh, and, okay, yeah. And, you know, that's generally just, you know, hey, our biases. You know, we produce, they wear them on their sleeves. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. We, we, you know, we're interested in human rights. I'm not even so sure you'd even call that left, as you just call it sort of standard fare for the 8 billion people in the world, you know. But, mm -hmm. but, but yeah, I mean, so, so really by what I'm saying about, about the guy in Argentina and the guy we have here is they're both able to create spectacle because they mm -hmm. have the airwaves. They have the TV airwaves. Right. They have the radio airwaves. And as yeah, Malay was, he was a TV personality prior to running for president. You there know. you go. Yeah. And that's becoming more appealing to young people as they become disenchanted and they really just seek out entertainment, you know, wherever yeah. they can find it. Yeah. Even with politicians, they seek entertainment. Yeah. <laughs>
that's a kind of a sad commentary on yeah. political reality. Well, yeah, Neil about. Postman wrote it all up in the eighties and nineties. So let me let me let me to death. Uh, let's uh, let's mm-hmm. let's let's take a look at the U.S. Sure. Okay, we have a, a big presidential election coming up, a less less than a year from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donald Trump will almost certainly be facing off against Joe Biden, but it's not that simple. Uh, we have RFK in the mix, and mm-hmm. looking at some polls. Um, you know, RFK is doing surprisingly well for a third-party candidate. But wait, there's more, because Jill Stein, the Green Party, at the, what, third time, I think, third time running for president under the Green Party banner, she is now running. Um, I think it's very likely that former U.S. Senator, I guess current U.S. Senator Joe Manchin uh, will run. Um, and I guess, yeah, he's looking at looking at trends around the world where we see the empowerment of authoritarian figures, whether it's in Argentina, uh, the Netherlands, or all the, I mean, it's, I mean, one, 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 uh, one, st- one story I saw indicated that if Marie Le Pen, the uh, French, uh, na- the, the, the mm-hmm. nationalist right-wing mm-hmm. uh, politician there, if, she, if the election were today, she would win. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the, it's, um, authoritarianism is on the rise all over the place. Yeah. Um, and I wonder what impact that might have on the presidential election here. Yeah. Well, I would just say one of the advantages here for the far right is they can substantially lose an election but still win it. In other words, with the Electoral College. So, yeah. so even the, the U.S. Senate races, I think the calculations are that the Democratic Party has to win the, the, the overall vote for like, by like 4 or 5% in order to win Senate race, you know, in order to control the Senate. And the same thing with the presidency. So, so the United States is unusual in that, you know, the, the presidency itself is extremely powerful, you know. Um, and, and I think if, if the population of the United States doesn't pay attention or doesn't listen to what is being said, you know, I mean, I have to give the, the former president credit for saying what he wants to do, you know, and, and he's pretty straightforward. He said he wants to make the executive branch and the executive offices loyal to him. He wants to rule as a king, you know, as opposed to the Constitution, which, once again, he's honest. And he also <laughs> said that he, he will weaponize the Justice Department and that people like me will be possibly put into jail or worse. And, and you know, people, how, how do you, how people do you, can how, think how, that's... Wait, people that, can, that, probably that, people like you, too. And I mean, I think people Isn't that can, a stretch? What do you say, Is vermin? that a stretch? Well, yeah, I know. Oh, I know well, it, no, it, it's it, not. It, Oh, no, I know he no. called a bunch of uh, oh, no, no, opponents no, no, vermin. Oh, yeah. no, no, and we have to, yeah, we have how, to... How do you see him weaponizing eliminate the justice them from system? Our I mean, I, I'm not saying he can humble. do it. I'm not saying he can do it, but I'm just saying my reading of history is that when a political leader says those things, I don't automatically disbelieve them or saying they're kidding or... Um, well, he may not be kidding, but he's still, that, that's quite a stretch to... Um, but it's not a stretch at all. If, to if, see if, what, if, what, a political if, science if, professor from Iowa being put in prison? If his entire political party agrees with him, which they do almost unanimously, and, and you have, whether it's Nunn or Grassley or Ernst, you, day after day, these things are being stated, and none of them say anything is wrong with that. Hmm. You know, this is what's called the loyal the loyal people who go along. Trump I mean, has, it's, it's rather frightening. But he has challenges from within his own party. I mean, I, I look at the primary that he's, he's up against, even though he's dominating it. Yeah, the I, fact I, that he's getting all these challenges is interesting. But I want to get back to... Yeah. How, I mean, to I, me, I, I don't know what will happen. I'm just saying... How do you think Stein... People should pay attention. RFK and Manchin affect the race I, between I, Trump and You know and Biden. what? I'll just be straightforward with you. I have no idea because anybody who tells you they understand the U.S. electorate is lying. And they're probably not worth listening to. Nobody knows. It's 
all the traditional lines of authority that you and I grew up with are blown up. All you needed to do to run for office years ago is have Walter Cronkite on your side, have the local parties and maybe the unions and some local civic. And That's more, all gone. And more recently, gone. It was more recently it was to have Oprah Winfrey on your side. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody more than Dr. Phil on her side. Yeah, or Dr. Oz. Okay. Well, Dr. But, Oz proved that even him on his side didn't wasn't enough to win. Oh, I guess a fairly yeah. weak candidate. But anyway, I mean, the, the uh, topic. But yeah, yeah it's, and so and so the traditional lines of authority have broken down, and some people would say, well, that makes it more democratic with with a small D or something. Possibly, but but it also it also allows the guardrails that this country used to have to keep out wannabe kings or, or wannabe authoritarian leaders, those are gone now. Hmm. So, it, you know, we are now relying on the, the sort of what the, the judgment of, of, of the United States voter. And boy, I, I, I think there are enough people. I mean, sure, Trump has his base. <laughs> we'll see where that goes. Trump has his base. But if you look at the entire electorate, it's probably, what, 25% of uh, voters think he's a good idea? Uh, I'm guessing that about that same percentage think Biden's a good idea. Right. That leaves you about half the electorate who yeah. could be persuaded to go a different direction. Yeah. And, one, I, and in this case, one of three directions. You may Stein, be right. RFK, Manchin. Yeah, because when you look at both political parties in the United States, neither one of them are just what you said. I mean, you probably have 45% of the electorate up, up for grabs. And, at least. And, yeah, mm-hmm. no. Yeah, you may, you may be, you may say even more. I, I, I don't, I don't dispute that. And, and now with the Democratic Party's divisions over this particular issue that Israel we started Palestine, off talking sure. yeah. about, you you know, you even have that. So mm-hmm. we don't really know where we're going, you know, nor do we know, you know, are there the checks and balances to 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 you know to control a wannabe king, whether that king is so called right wing, so called left wing, whatever they are, you know, yeah. do we have the checks and balances to control uh I want to be king. Hey, I got to take a a quick break here. Uh, Jeffrey Weiss with me today, folks. Uh, Ed Fallon here uh, on the Fallon Forum. Short break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about climate change and the uh, COP28 summit and what that might mean for global affairs. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Years ago, Chef George Fromaro envisioned a new market to house all his favorite foods under one roof in the heart of Des Moines. From that vision, Gateway Market was born. Over the years, Gateway has become Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. Gateway's welcoming environment in downtown's Sherman Hill neighborhood encourages discovery and honors the simple pleasures of the table. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, experience the good food difference at Gateway Marketing Cafe. Catholic Peace Ministry was founded in 1981 to work for peace and justice. It's an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese and is guided by an ecumenical board representing many faith traditions. CPM focuses on the urgency of nuclear disarmament and the need for diplomacy in Ukraine. CPM also provides an educational forum about the permanent war economy, which must be challenged if we are to achieve lasting peace and justice. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. 
Hey, thanks again to all of our sponsors, partners, monthly donors, including our sponsor, Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. And thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, so Jeffrey Weiss uh, is with me here today, folks, and uh, we're going to move on and talk about the uh, COPE28 Climate Summit, which is just kicking off this week. Uh, it'll be going on through about December 12th. Um, there are mixed feelings about whether anything will happen. One thing I want to comment about, Jeffrey, and get your take on this, is um, it was just announced this week that uh, President Biden will not be attending. I was, frankly, shocked and very dismayed to hear that. Um, I know he, had, he had, and he claims to have other important things coming, going on, including uh, the lighting of a big Christmas tree, uh, <laughs> uh, and also the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but, uh, but that actually was mentioned. Um, you know, so I think it sends a really, really horrible message, especially after a fairly positive meeting with, uh, with uh, Xi Jinping of China. Um, to me, it's a great concern that our own president is planning on not going. So who is going to be there? Well, well, you've got, um, you know, uh, Angola, uh, um, who I say, uh, Rishi Sunak, whose name I butchered earlier. Apologies to the British. Uh, King Charles will be there. Antonio Guterres, uh, the, um, the president of the uh, UN, uh, or secretary general, I guess. You've got um, different uh, leaders from all over the world. And Pope Francis will be there. And the uh, head of the U, uh, European uh, Union, mm. Ursula von der Leyen. So, yeah, lots of, um, I mean, mm. most of the uh, big kids on the block will be there. Yeah. <laughs> but not I, Biden. You know, is, 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 is Kerry going? I mean, I just. I, I just think Kerry is going okay. as the U.S. Okay. Uh, climate okay. envoy. Okay. Um, well, it's interesting. Pope Francis is going. There was, a, there was a wonderful headline by the late journalist Robert Fisk a few years ago when. Um, Donald Trump met with Pope Francis, and it was um, Donald Trump meets with the leader of the secular world. <laughs> the late journalist Robert Fisk was quite brilliant, who also made the observation that that, that these European countries, back to the last segment, uh, should be thankful that when the Islamic make, State made the call for all of the Syrians and the Iraqis, et cetera, to run to the Islamic State and to create a country that they said, we'd rather be in Europe instead. Um, <laughs> You know, we, I didn't mention that in the last segment, that's but that's something to think about, let alone the fact that Europeans have been pretty active the last couple hundred years. So, you know, yeah. but anyhow, going to other people's countries. But aside from that, you know, I was doing something for one of my classes where I was looking at uh, the executive branch in each of the departments and the priorities, et cetera. And it was coming out of the Biden administration. And there really is a strong climate focus from this administration. There, there really is. I mean, I, how much improvement there has been as a result of that in the United States is something you and others well, can study more yeah, carefully. I, and it's, he, it's not 100% perfect. I, I would say that Biden is the best climate president we've ever had. Sure. Uh, Obama was the biggest climate president disappointment we've ever had since, you know, he, he, made it a, he made it an issue in his campaign and then did very little and even boasted about having made the U.S. the biggest oil exporter in the world. Uh, unfortunately, even though Biden may be the best we've ever had, it's been it's been it's been such a conflict. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got positive things happening, even at the same time as you've got um, 
you know, vast region of the Arctic being opened, um, sure. more leases being issued in the Gulf of Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, no action taken on pipelines like the Dakota Access Pipeline, mm-hmm. um, money being given to big corporations to build this network of carbon dioxide pipelines, which is not mm-hmm. only a, a wrong from a climate point of view, it's a it's wrong from a private private mm-hmm. property rights point of view. Sure. So so yeah, I, I say mm-hmm. I, I say I say Biden's the best climate president ever, with the caveat there. There's no competition. <laughs> sort of going from the, um, the, the good old F to the D plus. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's done some good things, but, you sure. know, not showing up at COP28 is on that, that balance sheet of not a good idea. Sure. You know? Well, it'll be interesting to see if, 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 if she, if China shows up, uh, you know, and, and what other, I mean, Olaf Scholz of Germany, who, you know, some refer to as the leader of the free world, him and Macron. I thought it was the Pope. Of the European Union. Well, yeah, the, the secular <laughs> and free, and free and secular. Um, <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, it's uh, I mean, but you know, the the other big concern about uh, COP twenty eight is it's in Dubai, which mm-hmm. is um, it's in the United Arab Emirates, uh, the mm-hmm. capital of Dubai, and UAE is a major petro state, and uh, the guy heading it up, Al Jaber, is the head of the National um, Petroleum Institute or whatever it's called mm-hmm. in there. I can't remember the name now, but uh, how much? Good could possibly come out of that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. some are saying, "Well, it's okay because you know now that now that uh, we've got the, the the oil guy on the inside, he's going to sure. bring the oil industry to the table and make sure. them do the right and, thing." Yeah, and the same has been been said about Saudi Arabia. Well, yeah, I'm really, I mean, really skeptical about that. Well, it, it 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 may not even matter where it is because the reality is, sure. as you know, organized human life is in. Jeopardy. <laughs> it's it's all it, it for, for all the eight billion. It's already in jeopardy for Maldives and Bangladesh and and I mean we could just keep listing the the places, right? And individual places like Southern Florida. And, um. and we just mentioned Argentina's drought, <laughs> yeah, sure, you know, yeah. and causing to their capital flight, causing for their inflation, you know. So, so I mean, it's here, it's now, it's an emergency, um, and. You know, we we are, on the one hand, glad that nations of the world are going to get together. We hope that what they decide, that they follow through, each country. But, I, I mean, it's it's sad to talk about to some extent because you, you're you just really not sure how much progress is going to come out of it. I mean, the best mm-hmm. ideas are coming from the, the, the poorest countries and the ones that are feeling the worst effects of climate change. Like what? Well, I mean, you know, go immediately towards renewables, you know, the obvious one. You know, everybody, everybody's Manhattan project for that. Uh, also, the richer countries using banks and sovereign funds and things like that to um, help mitigate the, the problems for a Maldives, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's going underwater. And, well, where are the people going to relocate? I mean, all of these simple, well, not simple, but, but survival questions where... The brunt of climate change is being felt by the most vulnerable people in the world. You know, yeah. you know, whereas we're what six percent of the population, but we twenty percent or so of the suddenly uh, that of the emissions. There you go. Yeah. The I United think, you know, States and China. Yeah. And, yeah. One thing I say there there is a shrinking number of Americans who believe that climate change is a hoax. Hi, Gary. I'm thinking of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I do. I sure. no, not just. I have a few other mm-hmm. listeners and responders who who do agree that it's a hoax, but mm-hmm. it's a really small group, it's a really shrinking group. Mm-hmm. And you would think that there would be enough incentive, given the reality of what's coming at us, to, mm-hmm. to take the action needed. But I think you've got yeah. these entrenched organizations, uh, corporations in this case, mm-hmm. um, 
that have made money hand over fist for a long time, you know, drilling and selling oil and gas and coal, and they want to keep doing it. They like they like their power. They like their position. They they value the assets that they've been able to generate mm-hmm. through this um, this system of uh, of powering our economy. Yeah. And so you know, I it's I think, and especially since I know that more and more, uh, I mean, the oil industry has gotten very uh, good mm-hmm. <laughs> about making sure that it's well represented at these these uh, forums, these, mm-hmm. these summits. And for example, I, I can't remember the exact price tag, but you know, with so, many, uh, so much interest in, for example, having a table at COP28, well, they, they charge a bunch of money. It's like, it's like having, mm-hmm. I mean, Des Moines has the second biggest farmer's market in the country. Yay us. Right. But you know, back in the 80s, when I used to be at the farmer's market, I paid 75 bucks for the entire year. And now you... You you don't you you can pay you I mean for the most recent farmers market we had which was a whole weekend long, three hundred and fifty bucks sure. <laughs> you know yeah. so I'm saying when there's um when there's um limited space and a lot of interest the prices for those spaces go up and that's what's happened at COP twenty eight and yeah. so what happens as a result well oil companies right. and other fossil fuel interests are the ones who snag the spots and yeah. so they get greater access to the official delegates from the countries that are, sure. you know, hopefully yep. making some decisions. And so, you know, yeah. that, that influence, yeah. that, that, that you, you, you can do a lot with that influence. Uh, well, yeah, and most of the producers of, fos- of energy, fossil fuels, uh, renewables, everything around the world are governments, whereas the distribution is controlled by multinationals, you know, right. so... Well, in some cases, like in the case of the United Arab Emirates, they're, they're combined, you know, they've got, they've got it, a nationalized corporation. Exactly. You know, and so, I mean, how do you tell a Venezuela, you know, which is a petrostate, sure. you know, where, where the price of gas, the price of oil is, is everything, you know, or in Iran, you know, the Persians or, or the Saudis, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, how quickly can they transform their economy? I mean, I know Saudi Arabia is moving in that direction, you know, and at least talking the game. I mean, it, it may be that, that and I don't, I don't research this enough, but maybe people who are listening to this program do, I mean, that, that China will be able to create a lot of this technology of the future that we'll all be buying from China. Sounds, oh, goody. sounds kind of familiar, <laughs> like your, your, your local trip to Walmart, right? Buying from China. But, but, but at the same time, you know, what will organized human life be like at that particular time? So... Um, but it's good that we have a lot of moral voices, you know, the, the Greta sure. Thunbergs I mean, of the world. The, the Pope will be the Pope, there? Yeah. The I don't know. Is Greta, Greta Thunberg going? I didn't hear that. <sighs> you know, I don't know. I, I just not. mentioned her name, um, but, sure. but I don't really know if she's going, but I, I'm sure she'll have something to say about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> I'm guessing she will. She'll have something to say about it. You know, so. and this, this, but this, this, you know, she and the Pope are two examples of people the mainstream media like to focus in on. They're... They're, uh, they're, they're, yeah. They make great copies. So oh yeah. To speak. Well, of course, you know, generally ignoring what they say, but yeah. Well, yeah, but but uh, but but <laughs> as, the main celebrity, the mainstream yeah. media do a great job at ignoring a lot of other people oh, who absolutely. have equally powerful and important things to say. Oh. but they just don't have the. Uh, for yeah. some reason, they haven't generated the, uh, no. the media cred to, to snag any no. kind of interest. You know, the, the, yeah, it, it is it is kind of interest, interesting dynamic, yeah. I mean, sometimes, I mean, you're talking about media. I mean, sometimes local news can be pretty good, you know, the, the person that's Yeah, I have scene, more faith in know? local news, generally speaking, than yeah. I do in the uh, national stuff. No, I, no, absolutely. You know, absolutely. What, what, what they actually have to say is often left in the, 
you know, what is oftentimes spectacle and celebrity, which is celebrity culture, consumer culture, what we're living in. So, yeah. Yeah, I I just, uh, you know, I'm... I hope I'm wrong. I really hope that by December 12, by the by the last gavel of the uh, COP28 climate summit, something really positive and powerful will have come out. Um, but I'm reminded of 2015 in Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, yeah. the uh, summit that I walked to, um, not across the ocean. I skipped that part. Uh, started in Omaha. Yeah, if you could have done that, that would have that been, been awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'd be, yeah we'd be. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> Okay. I, I, yeah, okay. I'm getting eaten by sharks from below like that, you know? I no, mean, if you could walk on water across the Atlantic, I mean, yeah, I'd, <laughs> I'd change your title and all kinds of things. But anyway, <laughs> Enough said. So, yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, you know, we, we had, uh, we saw the final, uh, the final, um, you know, the closing session of, uh, mm-hmm. of COP21 in mm-hmm. Paris, and it looked pretty good. And, and then, you know, I mean, really, the nations of the world have not come together and followed through. Well, on those promises. And on, on the other hand, the Sweden, the Germany, you know, where China may be going in some respects offers some promise. Where the United States is going, you know, in, in some respects, like I said, the Biden administration, not all the way there. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. I agree. It's a mixed bag. It, it's a mixed bag. And so and so on the other hand, you, you'd rather have them meeting than not meeting at all. I mean, it's it, it's sort of sometimes what we say about the United Nations. You know, um, it's not a world government. It's a, it's a forum to settle It shouldn't disputes. be a world government. I, yeah, I would be not. very much against world government. Well, but, yeah, and it's not because every every nation state is sovereign. You but know, yeah, but how, do you, how do you reckon? It's a forum you, you to settle got, disputes. you got to reconcile. Yeah, you got to reconcile differences somehow. For example, if uh, if uh, Chinese vessels are coming too close to your your uh, your shores and, and depleting your fishing supply, right. that's actually a real example. Sure, there should be a role for a, a, a collective um, international body to say, "Hey, that's not that's not allowed." Yep, and yeah. and which is wonderful. That's why you get the UN Security Council votes. That's why yeah. you get the General Assembly votes. So, I mean, we could have a different show about the accomplishments of the United Nations, and there have been so many. That and would be interesting. Actually. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we, we and actually there have yeah. been so many, and you know, we talk about media and. Look, I'll even just say even wars where we started. But I mean, what if the headlines tonight when you turn on the news was 187 out of 192 countries are not at war tonight? Oh, well, that's actually would be true, you know. So, yeah, I mean, it would just be a different spin. Yeah, yeah. So let me one more question. Here. So <laughs> sure. let's say uh, let's say COP28 um, mm-hmm. results in a status quo situation regarding climate change. Um, we already see, for example, I mean, immigration is, is probably one mm-hmm. of the biggest motivators in Europe right now for, mm-hmm. for the rise yeah, of authoritarian sure. governments. Absolutely. And, you know, people are fleeing Syria, for example, because mm-hmm. of a, a, you know, a, a climate-induced drought. Mm-hmm. So to what extent are more climate disasters going to compel immigration and thus yeah. more political problems well, relevant to that? The, of the 8 billion people in the world, 70% live under autocracies today, some sort of illiberal forms of government. So, of course, that includes some of the largest populations. Does that include the, the U.S.? Um, <laughs> n- no, we're, no. We're, 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 yeah, we're, we're, we're going down in the democracy index, unfortunately, when you compare us to other countries. You yeah. know, we talk about that in some other shows. Um, yeah. But it, but it does offer a, a huge challenge because where you have climate disruption, you have the things in Argentina yeah. with inflation, but you also have capital moves, but people move too yeah. to seek a better life, and they always have. Uh, Jeffrey, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, folks, have been talking with Jeffrey Weiss, a uh, political science uh, instructor at Des Moines Area Community College, Granville University, and to the rest of the world. Good anyway. night. Hey, we'll be back in a minute. Kathy Burns is joining me. We're going to be looking at some USDA programs that support urban farming and how they are making a difference. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. 
Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to our sponsors and partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. Kathy Burns joins me in the studio, and we are talking about how USDA programs uh, for urban farming can make a difference. And l let me just start, Kathy, by sharing what, I've, um, what I find on the USDA's uh, website mm -hmm. regarding urban farming. Uh, it says the USDA assists urban, small-scale, and innovative producers with growing, processing, and selling. Uh, we provide technical and financial assistance for a variety of growing operations, including community farms and gardens, rooftop, indoor, and vertical farms, and hydroponic, aeroponic, and aquaponic facilities. These operations provide healthy local food, encourage economic development, provide employment and on-the-job training, expand community green spaces, foster community collaboration, build climate and disaster resilient communities, and are an essential part of a resilient, diversified food system. <sighs> That's good stuff. <laughs> That's a lot. To, it's a long sentence slash paragraph. Anyway. And USDA <laughs> has not always been no. in recognition of or support of urban agriculture. So yeah. there's a program in particular in Kansas City that I, I chanced upon at, that uh, exemplifies some of the good that some of these programs can do. Yeah, what, what's, uh, what's happening in our next-door neighbor? <laughs> well, in Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, oh, Kansas, okay. Yeah, yeah. Not Kansas um, City, Missouri. Correct. Right. And, and it, I, I do recall reading an article it's an area with uh, some of the the least food security uh, mm. that that's you know compared to the rest of the country but um there's a school called the casey farm school at gibbs road and that is the school's full name that's they, a great name yeah um they not only grow and sell farm produce but they've added educational outreach programs a lot of that is thanks in part to usda grants for urban farms mm-hmm and uh, how long has it been going on? The school itself began in, 
uh, in the 1980s. It was uh, just three acres uh, educational space. That actually, they didn't do they didn't grow food. They did cut flowers <laughs> and holiday decorations. But it was for students to learn about you know managing you know a, a growing living thing and and three planning. acres is pretty big by my standards. That's big. But yeah, that's big. Okay. And. Uh, then they they did expand. They've expanded since then to 14-acre school oh, where wow. they learn all aspects of farming, uh-huh. uh, growing, selling, and uh, they grow fruits, vegetables, herbs, etc. And, and they sell it too, I yep. assume. Okay. Yes, and and that is all done as part of educational outreach. So so it's a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And and um, they've gotten two different USDA grants in okay. 2018. They had a a, pro, a, a grant for. $748,000, and it was offered by the USDA's uh, National Institute of Food and Agriculture program. And I like that title because I don't know if even the USDA was always coupling the idea of agriculture with the idea of food. Right. And yeah, food no. that we eat. Right. And so that's, that's really... I mean, look, at, look at what percentage of Iowa's crops go to cars, cars. hogs. Right. Laboratories. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not faulting farmers for that at all, but the focus no. has not necessarily been on food, as you noted. That's where the support for farmers sure. has been with some yeah. of those huge monocrop things. And then in uh, more recent years, the KC Farm School got another USD grant from their Agriculture and Innovation Productions Program, and that was nearly $300,000. Mm. So what's nice is that these programs at the KC Farm School are targeted at providing good local fresh foods grown sustainably and also making sure they are accessible to the population in the area where they sell. And, so, and this uh, this uh, particular place is in a food desert, you said? Uh, it's a it's an area with less food accessibility. Oh, okay. than and most, I'm not at all familiar. With, I'm not at all familiar with Kansas City, Kansas. Neither am I. People just don't seem to even you know think about yeah. it. Sorry, so but, I, but I'm, I we assume, need to get more familiar. I assume it's an urban community urban. with uh, with also some some of the issues that generally confront urban communities. Um, well, it, this uh, farm schools produce too. They make sure that. When folks come to purchase it on their on their sales days, they can use their SNAP and other government assistance program benefits to purchase the food. Also, they have some arrangements for people who are still in need of assistance but don't qualify for the assistance mm. uh, to pay what they can. And that's getting more and more common because of all the challenges now to SNAP programs and other food assistance programs, yeah. you, know, you know, watching out for cheaters and, and all of that, when really people just are hungry and trying now, and to feed their families. Any idea how far and wide these USDA grants go? I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot more um, communities, re- you know, receiving these grants than just uh, Kansas oh, City, Kansas. Many, many. Yeah. And, and there's been more USDA focus on getting local people from, you know, small and medium-sized producers in every state part of the decision, you know, mm. the planning and the decision making that's been really encouraging. Okay. Well, I knew we could end on, on, end on some good news. Good news. Thanks for helping there out. There you go, Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kathy, for joining mm-hmm. us today. Uh, thanks to our guest today, Jeffrey Weiss, and to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, and Western Optometry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Catholic Peace Ministry, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, 
Bold Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And thanks to the Des Moines Irish Session for our bumper music. We'll be back next week, folks, with another hour of cutting-edge talk radio.